Stand still. Hands in the air. But you have to let me inside. I'm a lawyer. A barrister, in fact, from London, which is the capital of England. I know where London is. I'm not a fool. Of course you're not. But I really must insist that you open the gates and take me to wherever you're holding my client. His name is Rumpole. Horace Rumpole. Rumpole and the Golden Thread by John Mortimer. Adapted by Richard Stoneman. Starring Julian Ryan Tut as Horace Rumpole. If you told me back in the summer of 1966 that I'd shortly be incarcerated in a maximum security prison in the middle of Africa, I'd have said there was more chance of England winning the World Cup. But then England did win the World Cup, and I found myself incarcerated in a maximum security prison in the middle of Africa. With the help of the British High Commissioner, I managed to send a telegram to Equity Court, begging for help. And two days later, the Porsche of our chambers was brought into my cell. Good morning, Mr. Horace. Ah, good morning, Matthew. You have a visitor. Really? Who? It's me, Mr. Rumpole. Porsche? <gasps> you said your name was Philida. Oh, it is. Don't worry, it's just what I call Mrs. Erskine Brown. Look, I'd like to be alone with my client now, please. Very well. Oh, Mr. Rumpole. Oh. Are you all right? Have they been beastly? Yeah. They haven't tortured you, have they? Yeah, I'm absolutely fine. I've been missing my steak and kidney put, but the bean soup is tasty and keeps me almost as regular as Chateau Thames Embankment. <laughs> Do have a seat. Uh, uh, you, you go on the bed. I'll, I'll take the chair. <sighs> Oh, Mr. Rumpole, tell me what happened. You didn't explain in your telegram, arrested, choky, help. Three shillings a word, I couldn't afford to say very much. I knew Henry had details of the trial. I thought he'd be able to point someone in the direction of Naranga. But he didn't have much more than the location of the courtroom. I didn't think Henry would be interested in anything else. Not the political situation here, the constant infighting within the government. Does that have something to do with your arrest? Yes and no. Oh, you'll have to explain. I suppose I will. Let me take you back, then, to a small Italian restaurant in Bloomsbury where Mr Charles Pinkerton, the director of Justicia International, was buying me lunch. Justicia International? Justicia International was formed exactly one year ago, Mr. Rumpole. We look for cases where defendants have not been given a fair hearing, or they've suffered a miscarriage of justice in remote places all over the world, from China to Czechoslovakia, from Botswana to Bolivia, from Pakistan... To Penge. I'm not sure we've ever dealt with a case in Penge. Haven't you? I have, but that's another story. We send English barristers to defend the oppressed, and sometimes a prisoner is released or an injustice remedied. Mm -hmm. Is there an injustice you think I might be able to remedy? Narunga. I'm sorry? It's a country in which there lives a great man who's been falsely accused of murder. Oh, yes. Who's that? David Mazenze, the Minister of Home Affairs. David Mazenze? Hang on. I taught criminal law to a David Mazenze. He'd a legal crammers off the strand before I was even a white wig. Mm. I'd just come down from Oxford, needed to earn some money. The same David Mazenze? Yes. 
He remembers you. He asked for you. Really? I wasn't a brilliant teacher. No, maybe not. But David never forgot what you had to say about the golden thread which runs through British justice. Yeah. The immutable principle that everyone is innocent unless 12 good men and women are certain they're guilty. He remembers the golden thread. Yes, and David held on to that principle as he practised the law back in Narunga. Then, before the country won its independence, he took up politics. He, he's a moderate socialist, sound on land reform and contraception. Contraception, good. So how did he get into trouble? Well, you see, the population of Narunga is divided into two tribes, the Apu and Matatu. Uh, they hate each other. The Prime Minister, Dr. Martin Babile, is a member of the Matatu tribe, but needed a token Apu in his cabinet, so he put David in charge of domestic security. And how did David do? Oh, he was a fine minister, worshipped by the Apu people, tolerated by the Matatus. But then along came Bishop Karili. A bishop, eh? Hmm. I find they're always trouble. Karili was being driven home by a junior clergyman, some kind of vicar, towards Novo Lombaro, the capital city. And they were waved down by a man standing at the side of the road. As soon as the car stopped, the man shot the bishop. And the vicar? The vicar managed to escape. According to him, the man who did the shooting was David Mazenzi. The police arrested David at dawn the next day. As they dragged him from his house, he shouted to his wife, Fetch Horace Rumpole from Equity Court. So your old pupil needed your help to defend him. But I don't understand why you're under arrest. I'm coming to that. There was I, a comparatively junior barrister, tasked with defending the local equivalent of the Home Secretary on a charge of murder, the sentence for which, over here, is still death. Oh, my goodness! You can imagine how I felt as I accepted the brief and began my preparations for this high-profile political assassination. Terrified! Excited! Not least because I was escaping Foxbury Mansions just as Dodo McIntosh was arriving for a long weekend with She Who Must Be Obeyed. You can't leave, Rumpole. I don't even know where you're going. For what land leave I the dim moon city of delight? I make the golden journey to Samarkand. Samarkand? I've never heard of the place. And I've certainly never been there. Before Dodo had even set foot in the mansion flat, I was boarding the flight to Nova Lombaro. Where I was met by my instructing solicitor. Hello, Mr. Rumpel. I'm Alice Rumingo. Who drove me to the district police headquarters and took me to a cell in the basement. There, I was reintroduced to my old pupil, the Minister of Home Affairs, David Mazenzi. Mr. Rumpel. Mr. Mazenzi. How good to see you again after so many years. Oh. Tell me, Mr. Mazenzi, why haven't you got some smart QC to defend you? I believe in the common man, Mr. Rumpel. He wanted an ordinary little lawyer. A perfectly lowly fellow. Thanks very much. 
Alice means that I was looking for someone typical of British justice. Then let me see if I can live up to your expectations. Uh, should we get to work? Right. Uh, now. Yes. I'd like to know a little more about the victim. Bishop Carilli was a nasty, unprincipled troublemaker. Mm -hmm. He was always stirring up hatred between the apples and the matatus. Now, the evidence suggests that you threatened him. Uh, two weeks before his death, you quarrelled outside the Parliament building and you were heard to say, I will kill you. I accept that I argued with the bishop, but he argued with everyone. Time of death is fixed at 9.30pm on the 8th. That's when the shots were heard. Where were you then, exactly? I had a speech to make the next day. I went out in my car to drive around and think. On your own? Yes. Pity. What time did you go out? About 8.30. Right. Then what time did you get home? 11 o'clock. My wife, Grace, made some coffee and we listened to music. David was arrested first thing the next morning. How does it look to you? Hmm. Identification cases are always tricky to prove. But I wish you had a better alibi. You won't win this on alibis, Mr. Rumpel. You know what you'll have to rely on. I would welcome suggestions. On the common law of England. The presumption of innocence. Ah, the golden thread. Better that ten guilty men should go free than one who is not guilty should be convicted. For to convict the innocent is to spit in, in the, the face, face of, of justice. justice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do you still use that one, Mr. Rumpel, in your speeches to the jury at the Old Bailey? I must confess that I, I do from time to time. A jury in Naranga can't be much different. Oh, Mr. Rumpel, I'm afraid we have no jury here. No jury? You British abolished juries in murder cases when Naranga was still called New Somerset. We did that? Oh, yes. So the only person you'll have to convince of David's innocence is the Chief Justice, Sir Worthington Banzana, a member of the Matatu tribe, of course, and a close personal friend of the Prime Minister. I'm afraid you may have trouble with Sir Worthington. In fact, I can't see the two of you getting along at all. Let me guess, Mr. Rumpole. It was the judge who locked you up. Am I right? All will become clear in due course. You'll stay for lunch. Of course. But I must send a telegram this afternoon. Claude will be worried about me. I wonder if Hilda's worried about me. Does she know I'm in the nick? I thought she might panic or get upset, so I told Sam Ballard to keep it quiet. Good idea. There's nothing she can do to help me. And she'll have quite enough to deal with in my absence. Mr. Pomeroy, I'm quite willing to pay off my husband's slate, as you call it, but I find it hard to believe he could have drunk over five pounds worth of wine all by himself in a single month. No, no, Mrs. Rumpole, that bill's just for last week. What? Normally, Mr. Rumpole settles up on a Monday, but I gather he's gone abroad. He's in Samarkand. Samarkand? Is that one of them islands near Majorca? I don't think so. Well, wherever it is, I was told your husband might not be coming back for a while, which is why I telephoned to ask if you could possibly pay me today. Very well, but I don't want to make a habit of this. Will a cheque be acceptable? Oh, that'll be fine, thank you. Uh, yes, sir, what can I get you? I have a half bottle of Riesling. <coughs> oh, hello, Hilda. Good afternoon, Claude. 
Drinking at lunchtime. You're as bad as Rumpel. I'm not sure anyone's as bad as Rumpel. <laughs> oh, I'll uh, get you a receipt, Mrs Rumpel, and a half bottle of the plonk for you, Mr Erskine Brown. Mm. Will your wife be joining you here, Claude? Uh, no, she's in Africa. Really? Why? Well, she's gone to get Rumpel out of prison. What? Well, he was arrested last Tuesday, and now he's languishing in some godforsaken African dungeon. Phil has gone to bail him out. Oh, why did no one tell me? Um, well, I, I think we thought you might find the news upsetting, so so we decided to keep you in the dark. You're much like Rumpel, I should imagine, in his prison cell with no windows. Oh, poor Rumpel. Oh, poor, poor Rumpel. Oh, have I said something stupid? Look, come sit down. Come sit down. Uh, Jack, yeah, yeah. Uh, could you bring my half bottle to the table in the corner? I'll be sitting with Mrs. Rumpel. Well, shall I make it a whole bottle, then? No, uh, but um, two glasses, please. Mm. Oh. More beans? No, thank you. More rice? I, I, I'm fine. Let's get back to the murder trial. Mm. You just met David Mazenzi's wife. Grace, who mm. seemed lovely. Grace Mazenzi was so charming and friendly and obviously desperate to save her husband from the gallows. I couldn't just walk away and hide from all the politics. So you stayed... And got arrested? I'm coming to that. Just be patient, Portia. <sighs> to be quite honest with you, Hilda, it's, um, it's a pretty ghastly situation I found myself in. My wife has absolutely no time for it. On the rare occasions Phyllis is at home, she's far too tired. I mean, I'm missing a vital part of my life. I mean... It's not the sort of thing a fellow likes to do on his own. I'm, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? I can't remember when Philly and I last sat down together to a decent Wagnerian opera. Oh, and we're talking about opera. Well, of course we are. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I was about to ask Liz Probert how to come garden. Liz Probert? <sighs> Rumpel's carried a torch for her ever since he first set eyes on that brazen hussy. Rumpel has? Well, he denies any attraction, of course, but a wife always knows when a husband fancies someone else, don't you think? That's a silly hope not. Why do you say that? You don't actually have feelings for the probate woman yourself. Well, not feelings as such. I just don't seem able to stay away from her, especially when Philly's working elsewhere. Birmingham, Manchester, Nova Lombaro. Where? This is the capital city of Naranga. And you say Rumpole's in prison there? So I believe... But you don't know why. Well, that's what Phyllis is supposed to find out. And do you honestly think she'll be able to get Rumpole out of jail? Well, she's a good barrister. That's why she's getting so many briefs. She's always taking on long trials in the North. Wouldn't surprise me if she takes silk before I do. But not before Rumpole, surely. Well, if I'm perfectly honest, Hilda, I don't think Rumpole will ever be a queer customer, to use his own terminology. Are we to remain in penury forever? Scraping by on the pitiful work he gets down the old bailey. It may not be like that in the future. No? No. It is quite possible Rumpo will never be released from prison. Oh, 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 no. Hilda. No, no. You're bloody. Oh, yes. Is that something I said? My hotel seemed very comfortable. Uh, the Old Majestic. Is that where you're staying? I haven't checked in anywhere yet. I came straight here from the airport. Well, I'd recommend the Old Majestic, but avoid the British High Commissioner, a man called Arthur Remnant. I met him the night I arrived. 
I say, you're not Rumbold, are you? No, uh, my name is Rumpole. Horace Rumpole. That's the fella. I was just having a drink with Mr. Singapore over there. We all call each other after the countries we represent. Do you see? Yes. So I'm Mr. England. And when I saw you, I said to Mr. Singapore, that looks like a chap who wears a wig for a living. And I was right. Congratulations. Uh, now, you really must come to the High Commission for a sundown tomorrow. Did I say I'm the High Commissioner? You didn't, but I guessed. Arthur Remnant, uh, pleased to meet you. How's the murder trial going? Is young Mazenzi going to swing, or will you get him off, do you think? Hard to say, since I've yet to step into the courtroom. Oh, it's an imposing building. You must let me show you round the place. Introduce you to all the people there. I'm quite happy to You'll go alone. You'll need someone to point out the important faces. I don't want you confusing Rupert Taboro with Magnus Nagoma. <laughs> Who? Well, precisely. Well, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. Nine o'clock sharp. Yeah. I don't know if the High Commissioner spent the night in the hotel... But there he was in reception, bang on time, wearing the same crumpled linen suit and sweat-stained shirt, his MCC tie dangling from his sunburned neck. Ah, Rumbelow. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. England. Got your wig and gown? Uh, all here in my robe bag. Then off we go. The Narangan High Court of Justice was built by the British just before the country won its independence. The building resembled a municipal library in Stoke-on-Trent. Crowds of Apu tribespeople lined the steps to the front door, and I like to think they were cheering me on as I was escorted inside by the High Commissioner and shown, after robing, to my place in Court Number One. The Attorney General is leading the prosecution. He'll be sitting over there, and the judge, Sir Worthington Banzana... Let me guess, he'll be sitting in the big chair up there on the bench. It's a little like the old Bailey, I presume. No, it's exactly like the old Bailey, apart from the wooden ceiling fans and the unbearable heat. All arise. And was the procedure the same? Identical. The judge, Sir Worthington Banzana, was just as rude and dismissive as Mr Justice Bullingham. <laughs> He made a point of ignoring me throughout the Attorney-General's opening remarks. I took a few notes and got a running commentary from the High Commissioner. You'll see in the public gallery David Mazenzi's wife, M Mrs Grace Mazenzi, and coming into the witness box, the first prosecution witness, the principal private secretary to the Minister for Home Affairs. Mazenzi's PPS gave evidence against him. He did, and very damaging evidence it was. The PPS said he saw David Mazenzi having a heated argument with Bishop Kurile outside Parliament just two weeks before the bishop was shot. He said he heard David shouting, I will kill you. But people say I'll kill you all the time. You should have pointed that out to the jury. Yes. There was just one problem, remember? We didn't have a jury. Of course. Mm. Just Sir Worthington Banzana sitting in solitary splendour. Mr Rumpole, is it no longer customary in England to stand on your hind legs if you wish to make an objection? I begged his lordship's pardon. I cross-examined the next prosecution witness, the Reverend Christopher Kuazango. 
the young clergyman who had been driving Bishop Carile on the night of the murder. You say that when you first heard shots, you jumped out of the car and ran with your head down. So you didn't see the attacker at that time? I saw him from the car, through the windscreen, before I ran. And in your statement, you said you ran all the way home, about three miles, and then you telephoned the police? Yes, sir. Was that the first thing you did? No. I changed my clothes first. Ah, why? I was soaked to the skin. Exactly. There was heavy rain that night, was there not, between the hours of nine and eleven o'clock? It was certainly raining when I was driving the bishop, and all the way home. Mm. And when it rains in Naranga, it's not a gentle April shower, is it? No, sir. So, when you were driving, the windscreen was streaming with water. You couldn't possibly have seen the face of the man who waved you down, who allegedly shot the bishop. And you certainly could not have identified that man as my client. Or could you? Could you identify the man as the defendant? Oh, yes, my lord. I'm sure I could. Let me make a note. <clears throat> I am sure I could. You see, Mr. Rumpole. Yeah. I see, my lord, but he could not. Well, isn't that a fact which I shall have to decide? It had been a long, hot and hard day and I sat in the big, empty lounge of the old majestic hotel drinking cold beer. I was interrupted by my instructing solicitor, Alice Ruingo, who hurried across the lounge towards my table. She sat down, no, thank you. refused my offer of refreshment and calmly stated the obvious. I think the judge would like to see David hanged. Actually, I think he'd like to hang David himself. We need more evidence. Yes. A witness. An alibi. Would you like a real witness? Hmm? One who tells the truth. The best sort. The only problem. David wouldn't allow this witness to give evidence. He would forbid it. But why? The witness is a matatu. It's the evidence that matters, not the family background. You may know the law, Mr. Rumpel, but you don't understand our country. I can give you a name and address, but you must promise never to tell David what I've done. Do you promise, Mr. Rumpel? Do you? I didn't mention the conversation I'd had with Alice Ruingo, but David could see there was something bothering me. Don't look so down in the dumps. You may not have noticed, but the Chief Justice is against us. A member of the Matatu tribe. Of course he's against the leader of the apples. Mm. Don't worry. You're doing exactly what is needed. And what's that? Upholding the best traditions of British justice uh. for the foreign newspapers. Uh. When we lose, everyone will know that the Prime Minister has no respect for the law. So our revolution will be perfectly justified. Your revolution? Now, just a minute. Our boys in the bush, Mr. Rumpel. They will attack on the day I am convicted. No sentence will ever be carried out against me. Are you saying that I was brought out here to lose this case? You were brought out here to make your speech about the golden thread. And then to lose? It will be the Prime Minister who loses in the end. And the judge. Some of our boys in the bush are likely to pass a motion or censure on Chief Justice Banzana. 
No wonder you don't want an important QC. Horace Rumpole is good enough just to utter a few legal platitudes and accept defeat gracefully. Is that it? Thank you for coming to see me, Mr. Rumpole. I appreciate your efforts. Oh. You mean he sacked you? No, no, no. I was technically still Mazenzi's barrister, but mm. realistically, I, I couldn't do what he wanted. Even so, I turned up at court the next day, where Alice Ruingo accosted me. Mr. Rumpole, I've just seen David and he's refusing to give evidence. Mm, I thought he might. He says the charge is beneath his contempt. So it's up to you now. Yes. Me and our final witness. Call Mrs. Mabel Mazenze. No! You can't do that. Sit down, Mr. Mazenze. Do try and control your client, Mr. Rumpole. I'll do my very best, my lord. No! No, the defendant will be silent or I will have him taken down below and the trial will take place in his absence. You should have seen the witness. Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand that I might touch that cheek. Everyone in court stared at that beautiful young woman as she stood in the witness box and swore an oath on the Bible. Is your name Mabel Mazenze? Yes. And you are a lady of the Matatu tribe? Yes. Are you married to David Mazenza? I am. Oh, Mr. Rumpole, the officer in charge told us that your client's wife is called Grace Mazenza. Witness will explain, my lord. Mrs. Mazenza, did Mr. Mazenza go through a ceremony of marriage with you according to the tribal customs of the Matatu people on the 8th of March, 1963? Yes. He did. David and I kept it secret. Both our people would have made a lot of trouble if they'd known about us. Now, the 8th of March was the anniversary of your wedding ceremony. It was also the day that Bishop Carrillo was killed. Where did David spend the evening of the 8th of March? With me. Where was he between 9 and 11 that rainy night? In my... In our house, here in Nova Lombaro. He was with me from before nine o'clock. When did he leave? About a quarter past eleven. He went to sleep in his bed at home with Grace as he had a big speech to make the next day. He thought with me he would not do so much sleeping. <laughs> yes, yeah. now, thank you. Now, now, Mrs. Mazenzi, it has been... Difficult for you to come here and give evidence, has it not? I think my family will never want to see me again when they know what I did with an apple man. Why have you come here? Because I know David cannot have killed the bishop. I want to save his life. The prosecution gave their final speech. The Attorney General was fair and reasonable. After he'd finished, I made my own oration, and I must say, it was one of my best. When London is but a memory, and the old Bailey has sunk back into the primeval mud, my country will be remembered for three things. The British breakfast, the Oxford book of English verse, 
and the presumption of innocence. That presumption is the golden thread which runs through the whole history of our criminal law. So, whether a murder has been committed in the old Kent Road or on the way back to Nova Lombaro, no man shall be convicted if there is a reasonable doubt as to his guilt. And at the end of the day, how can any court be certain that the fearless young woman, Mabel Mazenze, has not come to tell us the plain and simple truth? It was time for the Chief Justice to give his summing up. This court has heard the evidence of identification given by the Reverend Christopher Kozango. On the other hand, we have the positive evidence of Mabel Masenze, the Matatu woman, whom the defendant, a member of the Apu tribe, has married as a second wife. In these circumstances, the court is unable to feel that the prosecution has proved this case beyond reasonable doubt. Acting entirely on the principles of ancient common law, we pronounce on David Mazenze, whatever we may think of his morality, a verdict of not guilty. You won, Mr. Rumpole, you won. Yes, yes, I saved my client from the gallows, <laughs> but Alice Ruringu warned me that David wouldn't be particularly grateful. I've just broadcast the fact that the leader of the Apu People's Party had got himself hitched to a Matatu woman, which didn't look good, politically speaking. No. I derobed and came out onto the steps of the law courts, where I was hit in the face by the heat and blinding sunshine. And as I stood there, Two Narangan policemen in khaki shorts with revolvers bumping against their hips mm. came running towards me. They grabbed my arms and hustled me into a waiting police car. No. The engine roared, the tyres screeched and we were off, scattering chickens and children. I was under arrest. But why, Mr Rumpole? Why were you under arrest? Well, that became a little clearer when I was shown into the presence of a superintendent of police in the National Security Headquarters. Mm. He was sitting behind an enormous desk, holding a telegram, which he practically threw in my face as he demanded an explanation. And I saw the telegram was from Henry. Our Henry? Oh, yes. Chief Clerk Henry. He had sent a message to me which merely said, Murder fixed for the 21st of this month at 10.30am, signed Henry. Oh. I tried to explain that the murder in question was a trial, not an assassination, and I was wanted down the bailey to defend a wretched man who'd been accused of a fatal stabbing in a Kilburn pub. But the police didn't believe you. Oh, no. I tried to get a message to Sir Worthington, but the police either didn't pass it on or Sir Worthington Banzana declined to believe my story. Well, I'll soon get him to believe me. Yeah. I'll cable Henry and make him send more details about the Kilburn trial. Clarify your involvement. Hello? Can you open the door, please? You just relax and stay here. I rather think I'll have to. My lord, this really is quite funny. You find murder funny, Mrs Erskine-Brown? No, 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 of course not. 
But as you'll see from the various telegrams from Equity Court, copies of which I believe you have... I have them, yes. My client, my colleague, Mr Rumpole, was not being instructed to perform a murder on the 21st of this month. He was being informed by our chief clerk that a murder trial at which Mr Rumpole will be defending the accused will commence on the 21st of this month. But there was no mention of any trial nor any defendant in the original telegram sent by this mysterious Henry, who may or may not be a hoodlum, for all I know. I can assure your lordship that Henry is most certainly not a hoodlum. He wouldn't say boo to a goose. Really? Hmm. Well, now, Mrs. Erskine-Brown, the head of chambers at Equity Court used to be a Mr. Samuel Ballard, QC. Is he still there? Yes, my lord. In that case, if you can get Mr. Ballard to send me a personal cable, assuring me that everything you've said is correct, I will release Mr. Rumpole and he'll be free to leave the country. Thank you, my lord. But may I beg one additional favour? How on earth did you persuade Sir Worthington to let me come back to the old Majestic? I gave him my passport, your passport, and a tin of Twining's Earl Grey tea. He spotted the tin in my bag. I always carry one when I'm travelling. Mm. And it turns out you can't get Twining's in Naranga for love nor money. Well, I'm terribly grateful. <laughs> um... I left a bottle of whiskey in my room. Should we go upstairs? See if it's still there? Yes. Yeah. Let's do that, Mr Rumpole. Come. Did you, uh, did you want to see me, Bella? Yes, Erskine Brown. Shut the door. Take a seat. Everything OK? No bad news about Philida, I hope? No. Oh. So... You're wondering why I've asked you to join me? Well, I'm guessing... Uh, <laughs> put a bit of a chin wag, perhaps a glass of sherry? Sherry? Oh, thanks very much. Uh, just a small one. I'm not offering you a drink, Erskine Brown. I'm reading you the Riot Act. Are you? Why? What have I done? Elizabeth Probert has accused you of bothering her. Bothering? Chatting up, flirting with, propositioning. And it's not just Elizabeth. You've upset most of the young women in Chambers. I'm merely being friendly. How is that a bad thing? It's bad if it's unwanted, and I can assure you it is unwanted. For heaven's sake, man, you have a very attractive wife. How would you feel if she heard about your overtures to Elizabeth Probert? You won't tell her. Not on this occasion. But please, honour the sanctity of your holy matrimony. Respect and be faithful unto your spouse, just as she is faithful unto you. May I top you up, Mrs Erskine-Brown? Thank you. But I wish you'd call me Felida. That seems wrong somehow. I think I'll stick to Portia. The fairest creature northward born. Were you born in the north? Chichester. Yeah, close enough. Oh, doesn't London seem a long way away? I believe it's just over 5,000 miles. Could you imagine staying here forever? In the old Majestic? I think we'd soon tire of the menu. Do you actually 
want to go back. To London? To real life. Chambers. The old Bailey. Your wife. What is it you want, Mr. Rumpole? Uh, in general? In the long term? No. Right now. As you sit here next to me. Is there something you desire more than anything else in the world? Well, if I'm honest, as I sit here with your face so terribly close, I suppose what I really want... Open up! Oh, God. Who's that? Are you in there? It's the arse from the British High Commission. No! Oh, thank God you're here. And this must be Mrs. Moleskin Black. Erskine Brown. Yeah, quite so. Now, there's no time to lose. You have to get to the airport straight away. What are you talking about? There are going to be riots. The Apus and the Matatus are gearing up for a ride, old ding-dong. I got your passports back from Sir Worthington Banzana, who says cheerio, by the way. And you're both booked on the midnight plane to London. Do we really have to go so soon? Well, best if you do. I can't guarantee your safety. Now you've put an end to David Mazenzi, the Apus are after your blood rumbler. I didn't put an end to him. I got him off. Not quite how the Apus see it. They would never have let their leader hang if found guilty, but now they want him dead because you revealed he married a Matatu woman. We, we should get going. The road to the airport will be chock-a-block. If a couple of British barristers get chopped up on my watch, my life won't be worth living. We'd hate to be an inconvenience. Oh, thank you, Rumbelow. I knew you'd understand. Share a cab to Chambers? No, I, I think I'll head home and have a bath, change my clothes. Back. Philip! Hello, Philip! <laughs> hello, darling. How was your flight? Oh, <laughs> oh hello, Rumpole. God, you look awful. You look pretty dreadful yourself. What are you doing here, Claude? Oh, I just missed you so much. I, I couldn't wait to see you again. I've only been away for a couple of days. Well, it feels much, much longer. Now, uh, let me carry your case. Oh. I've got a car waiting. I'm afraid we'll have to go straight to Chambers. Sam Ballard's called an emergency meeting. Why? Well, it's nothing to do with me. I've done nothing wrong. And if you hear any rumours, that's all they are. Rumours, hearsay, which, as we all know, is never admissible as evidence. Oh, Philly... Did I mention how much I missed you? Oh, oh. Claude. Mm. Claude, do stop that. Yes, do stop. Uh, settle down. Uh, settle down, please. Now, uh, may I bring this meeting to order? And first item, can we welcome home Mrs. Erskine Brown and Rumpole safely returned from their African excursion? <laughs> Doubtless Rumpole will tell us all about it. Thank you, Bollard. Well... There I was. He'll tell us all about it at a later date. Now, if it pleases Chambers, I have an important announcement to make. As I think most of you know, I have been stepping out with Mrs. Plumstead, the old Bailey matron, for quite a few months. I'm delighted to tell you that Mrs. Plumstead has agreed to change her name to Mrs. Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> 
we are engaged. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And, of course, you're all invited to the wedding. Details and formal invitations will follow shortly. In the meantime, you'll find bottles of fizz on the table over there. Please help yourselves to one glass per person. Rumpel, uh, may I have a quiet word? Of course, Bollard. Uh, perhaps, uh, over here. Now, Rumpel, I need a favour. Oh, yes. Best man. The job's yours. Best man? Hmm. To be honest, there's no one else. And you did an excellent speech when you were Erskine Brown's best man. That's who you need, Erskine Brown. Claude? I don't think so. That would be terrific. I say, Erskine Brown. What is it? Fellas, got a favour to ask. And I've got some champagne to drink. Yes, Bernard, how can I help you? Ah, well, um... This is awkward... Is that you, Rumpole? No, tis I, master of the caravan leading the merchant princes of Baghdad. They let you out, then. I gather you were locked up in a prison. Yes, here's a waltz. But aren't we all incarcerated in one way or another? What on earth are you talking about? Oh, I don't know. Do you too? Uh, just a small one. I think I'll open a fresh bottle of Pomeroy's very ordinary claret. I should say night-night to Nicholas. Is he still awake? I hope not. It's very late. No. You're very late. I had some bad news. I tried to cheer myself up with a glass or two of Chateau Thames Embankment. A glass or two? Your gin. Thank you. Yes. <sighs> Telegram arrived at Chambers from the British High Commissioner in Nova Lombara. Seems my client, David Mazenzi, was shot dead this morning, just as I was arriving back in London. How dreadful. No arrests have been made, and I'm pretty sure no one will ever face a trial for this murder. Then at least you won't have to go back to Africa. It sounds far too dangerous. Yes. But at least it was different and exciting. Exciting for you? I was stuck here, fearing the worst, not knowing if I'd ever see you again. We travel not for trafficking alone. By hotter winds, our fiery hearts are fanned. Perhaps we could go somewhere together. For lust of knowing what should not be known, we make the golden journey to Samarkand. But we won't, Rumpel, will we? Won't what, Hilda? Make the golden journey. Oh! the best sound in the world. In Rumpole and the Golden Thread by John Mortimer. Horace Rumpole was played by Julian Ryan Tut. Philida was Kathy Sarah. Sir Worthington, Joseph Mydell. Arthur Remnant was Adrian Scarborough. And Hilda was Jasmine Hyde. Alice Ringo was played by Nadine Marshall. David Mazenze was Okorie Chukwu, Claude Erskine Brown, Nigel Anthony, and Sam Ballard was Michael Cochran. Other parts were played by members of the company. Rumpole and the Golden Thread was adapted by Richard Stoneman, directed by Marilyn Imry, 
and as a Catherine Bailey production for BBC Radio.